How's everybody doing this morning? Um, it is becoming quite evident we're going to have to do something about this. Uh, it's getting a little crazy. So DJ and I, during worship, we're out there. What if we move this wall out towards the ramp and see if we can't get uh, some more chairs in here? So uh, stay tuned, because we are going to have to start doing something, and that is a good thing. That is a good thing. Um, listen, I, I'm not about numbers. I'm not here to try to grow a church, to be quite honest with you. Um, I think I find myself in the place where a lot of you, which is I like community and I like the feel of a smaller place, but here's what happens. Um, when you tap into something that the Holy Spirit is doing um, and people start to get excited about it, um, you can't help but to start to grow. Healthy things grow. And that's a good thing. Healthy things grow. So here's, uh, here's what I want you to be praying for us, um, that God would give us great direction in regards to how we do this strategically. Um, I, I don't know if this is a self, selfish thing or not, but maybe we could just all join together in praying that the gym would be so blessed they have to move. I, I don't know. I I, I love this location, actually. Um, it would be really cool to, to be able to open up over there and, and stay. I like the, the Saturday one service, Sunday one service, because I think creates that family uh, avenue. I just know that as I'm watching you guys um, go through rush hour for communion, um, it, we're going to have to do something. <laughs> it's gonna, we're going to have to do something. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Hey, um, Give you just a little insight into my week this, this week. It was actually a very nice week. Um, the week prior, I had meeting after meeting after meeting, so this week I didn't have uh, nearly the, the schedule time-wise. Put my message together um, and felt pretty confident about it, and then um, as I got closer to the weekend, all of a sudden this unrest and uneasiness started to happen, and to be quite honest with you, I'd, driving to the church last night, I was telling my wife, I, man, I, I don't even know if I'm supposed to teach what I prepared. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's happening. Something, something is just uneasy about this. I've asked God um, if I if I should change it. Um, and so Saturday night before the service, we always get together as a staff, and I was just sharing um, what I was going through. And and our youth pastor Peter, uh, he he actually goes, "Hey, I'm struggling with the same thing." I've got this message I've prepared, and I just all of a sudden have this unrest about it. And then Janelle is leading worship last night, and she's in the middle of the set. She goes, hey, you know what? There's just something that's, that's over this. Uh, Darren tells me this morning that he got up for communion last night, and he almost forgot why he was standing up there. <clears throat> now, the reason I tell you all of that is because, um, you know, the enemy... There's certain messages, there's certain words I believe the enemy tries to steal from the very beginning. Um, even before they're delivered, he doesn't like what's going to be presented, he doesn't like what's going to be given, and so he tries to steal that away. And so um, I don't want that to happen. And so um, I have given this message in the fact that I gave it last night, um, and it is something that I think that God wants you to hear, um, but that doesn't take away uh, from the fact that we have an enemy that wants to steal it. And so I'm going to ask God to communicate through me to you this morning the exact words that you would need. Um, and I know I say this week in and week out, but it's so important. Um, would you open your hearts and, and ask him to speak to you? We're going to be talking about marriage. 
And so, I, you know, some of you are like, oh, well, our marriage is really good. I, you still need to hear this. And there's other people that are struggling, and this is, you're here for a reason today. Um, and so let the Holy Spirit speak to you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just come to you right now, and I ask that you would, um, God, you would, by your Holy Spirit, penetrate into the hearts and lives of every person in here. God, I don't want this to be just a good message. I don't want this to be just words that are given, but the only way for it not to be just those things is if your Holy Spirit is alive and active and moving in this room. And so, Holy Spirit, come into this place. Speak to our hearts. We know you are here. God, I pray that we would open our hearts to receive you. God, use me to communicate your heart and your life and your message. And God, as I speak, let it penetrate into minds and hearts and spirits in this room. And God, we thank you. And we expect great things this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, we're in a series called, well, it was called Centered, talking about putting God on the throne of our heart, and we've transitioned now into uh, moving into kind of practical issues in our lives. So, for instance, this morning will be God-centered marriage. I'm going to be completely upfront with you right now. We're going to do two weeks on this. If you are single, if you are divorced, um, I want you to know that even though we'll be focusing on marriage, I believe that God has some insight and some depth of wisdom that even you can pull in and, and obtain as I speak these things. So don't, turn, don't tune out because I think the Holy Spirit wants to speak even to you in the midst of some of these things. Uh, we're going to be talking about a little bit about how men are wired versus how women are wired. And that is a good thing if you're a man or a woman in here, whether you're married or single. Okay, good. I'm just making sure everybody's on the same page. Um, here's what I know. Uh, I have married people in here. And because you're married, um, I just want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. If you are married in here, I want you to raise your hand high and hold it up if you have ever struggled in your marriage. Look around the room. If you've disagreed about what color the carpet should be. Raise your hand. I, there's issues. There's arguments. There's things that happen in here. Okay, put your hands down. Uh, now, one other quick thing. I just want to see. I, I didn't do this last night. I forgot, but I wanted to see this. How many of you have been married for, uh, well, first off, uh, any, who's the newest married couple in this room? What, when did you guys get married? May. Anybody be f- since May? All right, let's give these guys a hand. <clears throat> Okay, if you've been married five years, raise your hand. Keep them up high. 10 years? 15 years? 20 years? 25 years? 30 years? 40 years? 50 years? Keep going. Wait, wait, wait. 55? 54? How long? 53. 54. That's awesome. How many years are you guys? 51. How many? 54. That's awesome. All right, anybody else that's over 50 that we didn't recognize? 
Dude, that is amazing. Um, any issues in those, prob- in those 54 years? <laughs> 50 plus years? Could you write a book or two? Absolutely. Um, and last week, we talked about the foundation and how we're going to set these up. And just a quick reminder, because I want, I want to make sure that we're on the same page. Last week, we talked about scripture in 2 Timothy that talked about we're supposed to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And what I presented was, could there be a divine order to that? And the fact that righteousness is understanding how God sees us, and ultimately, in this particular message, how God sees marriage. From a body perspective, from a global perspective, from a biblical perspective, how does God see marriage? Which then brings us into faith. Faith comes by hearing, which puts us in a place to, okay, if we understand how God sees marriage, then maybe we can individually hear from God what that means for us individually, which then once we hear from God, then we step out in love and we can apply it into our personal lives, which then I believe brings wholeness to again, in particular for this message, into our marriage. I think that everybody in here that is married wants wholeness in their marriage. I was hoping for a little bit louder response, but I think you want wholeness in your marriage, yes? And so I think it's important to understand how God views that. And so what we're going to do is this week we're going to look at what God thought about marriage or what God put in the Old Testament about marriage. And then next week we're going to take tackle the scriptures about marriage in the New Testament. Um, But here's my first question to you guys, and I'm going to need your help, um, and that is this. If God were to be able to stand with us today, I I know his presence is with us via the Holy Spirit, but if he was able to physically present himself and share his heart to us, stand up where I'm standing and say, here's the important things to me about marriage— Here's the things that I want you to understand as husband and wife. What do you think God would say to us this morning? Become one. Become one. Okay, love that. What else would he say? Be authentic. Be authentic. Love that. What else? Forgiveness. Forgive one another. Yes? Oh, man, that is 50-plus-year marriage, guys. How important is forgiveness? Very. Yeah, okay. Yep. Kim? Huh? Encourage. Encourage one another? Yes. (laughs) Brad, boom, boom. Please, yes. What, somebody over here? Honesty with one another, yes. Pursue one another daily. Love that. What? Make awesome babies. And practice regularly. Be flexible. Hey, I make light about that that practice. I think God would say, I created this for your enjoyment. Absolutely. Be flexible with one another. Absolutely. What else? Live life together. Be humble. Selfless. Choose to love each other. Love together? Learn. Learn together. Thank you. Learn together. All of these are great responses. I'm still waiting for a couple cliche ones that you think God would say. Not, I thought you, no, what, what, what did you have though? Fight for, your Fight for your marriage. Absolutely, yes. Be gracious with one another. Love it. Put the other one before yourself. Honor. See each other as God created you to be. Yes. Respect. 
sacrifice, love God first, one flesh, all of these are great. How about this? Husband, die to yourself. Woman, submit. I don't think God would say it that way, though it was written that way. All of these things are great. I, I, I think all of these, I don't think anybody would disagree that, you know, these are the things that God put in his word about marriage. Um, but we find ourselves in a world where success rates in marriage, um, you know, some, some statistics say up to as much as 50% of marriages in the world divorce. And um, depending on what report you read, some would say that um, the, the church, people who profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, are not fi- far behind in, in regards to that rate. Now, there's other reports that say uh, people who truly have a walking, talking relationship with the Lord, their divorce rates are much lower. But here's the truth. There still is divorce in church. There's still separation. There's still struggle. There's still couples that have a difficult time um, making it work. And here's what's interesting. Um, God has put two people together to make one. And I don't think at any point, you know, one of the funny things I ask couples uh, right before I marry them is I say this, um, do you want to divorce your spouse? Well, no. Do you want to divorce your spouse? Well, no. They look at me like, what kind of ridiculous question is that? But yet, so often as time passes and the enemy begins to wiggle in between the two people, all of a sudden they find them disconnected and they turn away. And there's people in this room that have gone through that, that has gone through that pain. And, and I want you to know there's hope for you in, in the midst of all of this. God, God's purpose is not that, but he's not the God of if only he's the God of but now. And I think that this word truly can go out to everyone. You can all grab a hold of this and use it no matter where you are. In the, in the process. And so what I want to do is I want to go to Genesis and I want to look at what God originally put together and why he did it and maybe some things that will help you understand um, some differences that you might have with your spouse. Um, because I think if you can understand the difference and understand um, why, um, for the ladies, why us guys are such boneheads. And for the men, why you're wife, you just can never figure them out. Um, and there's, you guys do know that women and men are different, right? Okay. I mean, they write books about it. There's comedy sketches about it. I don't think I have to develop that too much. But here's what I want to do. I want to go to the very original marriage uh, that was put together by God. You can find it in Genesis chapter 2 if you want to follow along. And um, as I read through this, I want you to just kind of picture what was taking place. Verse 18 is where I'm picking it up, and it says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him, <laughs> somebody said amen, all right. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, real quick, just so you get the picture of this, God creates uh, the, the planets, the earth, the, the light, the water, the mountains, the dirt, um, all of the animals, um, and then says it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he creates man. And he picks up here by saying, it's not good. Not that man wasn't good, but it's that man being alone wasn't good. So I'm going to make a helpful 
suitor or suitor, uh, helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up this place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man. <laughs> I know, the old cheesy joke, but it's still funny. <laughs> For she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. All right, um, real quick. Um, I, first thing I want to, and maybe this will help somebody. Um, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I'm just going to address it real quick. It says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one. I challenge um, the men in premarital counseling, please show me in the Bible where it says a woman will leave her mother and father. Can't find it. I haven't been able to find it yet. And to be honest with you, Kim and I struggled for probably the first three or four years of marriage until I heard this and realized, oh my gosh, I was called to leave and my wife is going to have a relationship with her mother forever. And the sooner I embrace that, that that's okay, the better it's going to be for us. I'm not sure who that's for in here, but here's what I want you to recognize. I think sometimes in-law issues come, and one of the things that we used to fight about is how often she would talk to her mother, and she would tell her things before she would even tell me. And um, one of the things that we came to an understanding was, hey, okay, I realize I'm supposed to leave my mom and dad and be joined to you as one, but I want you to understand, I hope that you understand we're the immediate family and your mom is now extended family. And so you need to come to me first before you go to my, your mom, but here's what I'll say. You speak to your mom as much as you want as long as you and I are the priority. Okay? So maybe some people are already going, hey, that's all I need. And if that's say, please get up and you can leave. <laughs> you just work on that one right there and you're, you're gonna, it'll help the two of you, I promise you. All right, going back into the story, let me ask you just a question real quick. And again, need your feedback here. It says that God wanted to make a, 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 a person that would be um, a suitable helper for Adam. And so it says that he created Eve out of the ribs of man. Have you ever wondered this question? Um, in, in verse 7, in the same chapter, it actually says that God took dust, dirt off the ground, and he formed man, and he breathed into him that there would be life. Have you ever wondered why God didn't go, okay, we need a, a helper for this man. Let me get some more dirt. Let me stir it, and let me breathe life into a woman. How come God didn't just stir up some more dust or dirt to create a woman? Because what? Because man was perfect, made in his image. That's a good response. Love that. Huh? Because he wanted them to become one? 
Because it makes them one, right? Because it comes out of him, so they're still kind of from the same creation, right? Like that? Somebody said last night, because a woman can't be made out of dirt. (laughs) Thought that was a good response. Thought that was good. Have you ever thought about it, though? Reading through that story, how come God just didn't stir up some more dirt and create this helpful help help man i can't say this today i'm going to go back to the king james the help meet for the man why did he take it take the rib and i think the answers um were great i think god wanted us to understand that we are one flesh that we are one person do you know in ephesians um there is an interesting section of scripture about marriage that Paul writes. Ephesians 5.31, it says this, for this reason, a man will leave his mother, or sorry, leave his father and mother, there it is again, by the way, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then Paul writes this, this is a profound mystery. What is Paul saying? I don't get it. I don't understand it. I, at my weddings, it's one of the things I open up with, actually, before I have uh, the father give the bride away. I, I talk about the miracle of marriage and the fact that we get to witness a miracle before our very eyes today. And here's what the miracle is. This man and this woman are going to be joined together as one person, and God no longer will see them as two individual people from this ceremony on. God will see these two people as one person person. Now, we live in a society that is so individualistic that we don't have a good understanding and we do not comprehend the power and the impact that happens when you get married or when you got married. And I want you to grab a hold of this because I think it's so important to understand that you and your spouse are one person. Because I think we have a whole lot of couples that are living two individual lives. And for as long as you live two individual lives, you are never going to fully comprehend the connection that God intended for you to have as one person. It means this, that, sir, if you go to the right, guess what? She's going with you. Ma'am, if you go to the left, guess what? He's going with you. Well, that's not how it works in my family. Maybe you don't have an understanding of one flesh. get the weight of this. Here's here's what impacted me and put this down in deep inside of my heart of how important it is that I have a vested interest in how well Kim is doing. And that was this. Could it be, not before I even get into this, I want to make sure that everybody understands. This is my opinion. This is I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord. I'm not saying that I can even find this in Scripture. I'm saying this is my opinion. This helped me to understand the magnitude of one flesh. Uh, This is my opinion. Everybody say opinion for me. Okay, thank you. Could it be we're all going to stand before the Lord one day, and we're going to be held accountable for two things. One, we're going to be held accountable for what did we do with his son? Did you ask Jesus into your heart? The second thing it says in the Bible is that we're going to be held accountable for the things uh, that we did based on what we heard from him, how we responded to his voice, our talents, our gifts, the abilities that he put into us. He's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? 
Okay? I believe that my spouse is something that God gave me. <laughs> it would have been a good time to get some points there. <laughs> I believe that Kim is a gift that God gave me, and could it be that not only will I have to stand accountable before God for how I lived my life, but could it be that I might have to ask questions about how Kim lived her life? My opinion, I'm not saying thus say the Lord, but I'm saying that it gave me a deep understanding of how important her health is to me and that I should be vested in it and that I should care very deeply on how she's doing. Well, yeah, but Pastor Dan, you just don't know what my spouse does. I don't care. I know that sounds cold and callous, but I want you to understand that if you are right before God, you will have an understanding that you should have a vested interest on how well your spouse is doing. And not in your terms, but in theirs. Grab a hold of the fact that you are one person. Some of the marriages in this room, some of the couples are living independent, separate lives from one another. You're like roommates. But God sees you as one person. And the blessing that comes into marriage is when you grab a hold of that and you live the way that God wants you to. We talked last week. Get the understanding of how God sees things so that you can have faith, love, and ultimate wholeness in your marriage. It means that some of the things that you guys said at the very beginning, which is this, you need to think more highly of your spouse than you think of yourself. You need to put her before you, sir. You need to put him before you, ma'am, so that the two of you can truly become one. See, I believe, uh, amen, I've been hearing this comment a lot lately in marriage counseling, whether it's been five years, 10 years, maybe even 25, 30 years down the road. This is what a spouse will say. I just don't know if I ever really loved them. Hogwash. You loved them because that's why you got married. It was an arranged marriage. Your parents didn't put the two of you together. You got married because you enjoyed one another, you loved one another, you liked one another, and what has happened is the enemy has weaved himself in there to pull you apart to where now you're questioning even why you're together. Sorry, it was a little aggressive. Forgive me. I just, oh man, it bothers me because when somebody says that, it makes me think Man, the enemy has got in here. And you know what we talked last week? We can be deceived. We can be deceived. And I think one of the deceptions is the enemy wants to question whether you actually ever loved that man, whether you ever actually loved that woman. And I would just submit to you, wait a second, go back. Go back. Don't let the enemy deceive you in that, in that thought. Don't let him trick you with that deception. Okay, so he didn't take dirt because he wanted the couple to understand their one flesh. So now my next question is this. Okay, so if they're one flesh, why did God take the rib? If he just needed some DNA, why not a piece of hair, a toenail, a piece of skin from the back of the knee and create woman? Why the rib? Help me out. Huh? 
Breath, okay. Close to the heart. Protection. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Did you look ahead on the notes? Yeah, you cheater. Oh, my gosh. He's on the Bible.com app, you version. He's following along. If you want to follow along, you can too. Um, but no, that's good. I love it. What else? What else comes to mind? Why the rib? Yes. Blood in the marrow. From here is more equal than from here or here, right? I like that. I've heard it taught so that we would understand that she was not to be above him or that she was not to be below him, but that they were to be partners side by side. I think that's a great teaching. I've heard it taught that they are side by side so they can fight battles together side by side. Let me just ask you. Are you fighting battles side by side, or does your battle look like this? Because my battle with my wife many times looks like this, except she's pointing at me. Because I messed up. It's my fault. Man, what would our marriages look like if we actually fought side by side? Stop throwing daggers at one another, but actually threw daggers at where they're supposed to go, which is against the enemy. Because the enemy is doing everything he can to weave his way to separate you so that you're not connected. God wants you to be whole. He wants you to be connected. He wants you to be truly one. And so I totally agree that I think if you have an understanding and a picture that, okay, maybe he took out of the rib so that man and Wife, man and woman, could be side by side so they would fight together. And I think that's a great teaching, and I think there's great truth to that. But I think there's something else that I want to pull out um, that I think is maybe even more important to understand. Um, I think that he was very specific about why he grabbed the ribs. I think that there is a very intentional reason that God created woman out of a rib of the man. Before I go into what I think, let me just ask you this question. Is a husband and a wife, is a man and a woman that are in marriage together, are they equal? I'm gonna ask that question one more time and on the count of three, I want you to say either yes or no. Are they equal? Yes. Wow. Last night it was yes and no's all over the place. I would actually submit to you no. If you look up the word equal, it means same. I do not think that a woman is the same as a man. I do not think that a man is the same as a woman. I very much think that a woman has different wiring than a man does. So I don't think equal is the right word. And yet we have a world that is pushing equal rights, and basically this is the theme that has come out of that, and it is this. Anything you can do, I can do better. And so I don't need a husband because I can do everything in my own, says the woman. I don't need a wife because I can do everything in my own, says the man. But yet we just read that God took a part of Adam away from him. 
Which means, sir, you are not self-reliant. And you cannot do this by yourself. And ma'am, you came from him, which means you can't do this by yourself either. And so I asked the staff, I said, okay, what is the word that is equal, that, that is same but not equal? What, what is the English word? And DJ came up with this 15-letter word that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. <laughs> the rest of us decided that the best way to say this is, is this. I believe that a husband and wife, a man and a woman have the same value in marriage. But I think they have different roles. Would you agree? Um, to my couples who've been married over 50 years, do you have different roles in your marriage? But you have the same value, right? That's what's made it. That's what you guys have fought through, wrestled through, struggled through so many different things, but hopefully valuing one another so here's what I want to do. I hope that I can communicate this the right way, but I hope that you grab a hold of this. I think we need to get away from the mindset of equality as being same, but go to a mind shift that says, hey, we have equal value, but your value is in a different role than what my value is. It says in the King James Version that God wanted to create a help meet. That's the words, a help meet. Translation, other translations say helpful, um, suitable helper. Let me look into the Hebrew of that and give you some understanding. The word meet in there for help meet is this. It's a Hebrew word, neged. It means a front, an example, a part that is opposite, specifically a counterpart or mate. Okay, I think we would all agree that um, when we get married, we find our counterpart, the part that completes us. Now, the thing about a counterpart is they have a lot of different things than we do. The whole saying opposites attract, well, it's, a lot of times it's true because that's what we need to be complete. And I want you to understand something. There is a lie in the world that says that if you give 50% and your spouse gives 50%, the two of you come to be 100% whole. Uh -uh. You want your marriage to work? You have to give 100% of your effort towards that. Both parties have to give 100% effort. If you're struggling right now, I'm willing to bet that both of you are actually down in 70s, 50s, 30%, hoping that it's going to make it work. Man, you have to go back to giving 100%. I know at one point you did because you got married. At one point you did. But here's what I want you to understand. God created this person that's going to be a counterpart for you. The word help there of help meet is this. It comes from the root word azar. And it means this, to surround, protect, aid, and help. Surround, protect, aid, and help. All right, so here's what I'm going to submit to you. I submit that if we have different roles in marriage, but the same value, that it's very important that we comprehend and grab a hold of what is my role. Yes? Women, I submit to you that you are the protector of your family and you are the protector of your marriage. 
I know that's been taught differently. I know it's been taught that the man is the protector. And when it comes to the bump in the night, gentlemen, you're the one that gets the bat or the gun or whatever and goes and checks out what's going on. Don't be like, hey, sweetie, go. <laughs> Dan, Dan said you were the protector. Go. That's I, the physical thing. We are stronger. We're built stronger. Man, you go do that. But what I am talking about, the word says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against powers and principalities. And when it comes to the spiritual things of your marriage, the battle that takes place in your marriage, ma'am, I submit to you that you hear things from God that a man is absolutely clueless in. This was so helpful for Kim and I because here's things that Kim would say. Why don't you just step up and be the man of this marriage? Why don't you pray for us more? Why don't you lead us in prayer? Why don't you care for our kids better? Why don't you, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you? There's a proverb about a nagging wife. <laughs> she is not that by any stretch of the mean. I'm just telling you that right now. There is a proverb about it, though, several actually. But here's what happens. I think we've taught this wrong. I think we've received this wrong. And I think, and I hear this from time to time. Women saying, well, if my husband would just step up and be the man of the household, that he would be the head of this marriage. And if he would just pray more, we would do better. I would submit to you, maybe he's just clueless because he's not wired that way. Could it be, ma'am, that you were given out of the rib of a man that discernment the God, yes, intended in him to have when he first created him, but because you were made out of him, that now, woman, you were wired this way. Let me see if I can prove this to you. I want you to share, shout out when I say this word. I want you to shout out male or female. What comes to mind when I say the word intuition? I have never heard it say he did it on his male intuition. I've never heard that said. But I've heard it many times said, oh, man, how'd you do it? I just had this female intuition thing. You're wired this way. Grab a hold of this. This has set some of your marriages free because here's what it means. If you have equal value, it means, ma'am, your sense, your discernment, that intuition thing that you have in you, though it might bug the crud out of your man, it is the thing that's going to help you to navigate and lead your man in the right direction. And men in here, I want you to listen to this. You will be very wise if you listen to your wife, especially when she says, I just don't feel right about this. That bugs us, guys. It bugs us. We've got the car picked out. It's perfect. All the numbers work out right. It's going to be wonderful. And she goes, oh, I just don't feel right about this. What don't you feel good about? <laughs> is there something wrong with the numbers? Are we? No, no, the numbers are great. So what is it? I just don't feel good. Well, that's dumb. We're buying the car. And thus the separation starts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sir, listen to your wife. If she's been wired to be the protector, the surround, the aid, man, we need to pay attention to that. 
Okay, so let me quickly go into a, a picture for you, see if you can't get this. The Bible oftentimes, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 comes to mind. Paul's talking about the spiritual gifts, and he says, it's like this, and he uses our physical body as an example. And so would you give me the liberty today to use our physical body as an example of marriage, okay? So here's a physical body, human body. The head of marriage is who? I heard some God and heard some man. I would submit to you that it's God. Okay, 1 Corinthians, I believe it's uh, 11.3 says that Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman as God is the head of Christ, which is very interesting because I would always think the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as equal, but it says God is the head of Christ. Lady, hear that because I think the world has transitioned and said, the man being the head of the woman is this really negative thing, but I don't think you would ever think it would be negative that God would be the head of Christ. But understand this. It says Christ is the head of man. So the head in a marriage illustration is God. Now, I want to hang out here for just a second because, um, lady, I want you to understand this. If you're expecting your husband to be God of your marriage, you're putting an incredible weight on his shoulders that he cannot carry. He cannot carry that. And sir, if you think you have to be God of your marriage or your family, you're carrying a weight that you'll never be able to, to carry. Drop that. Because you know who's the head of the marriage? God is. Let's put God in his right place. He's the head of the marriage. We've already talked that the woman was created the rib. So in my picture, the rib cage that surrounds, protects, and aids, let's call the woman the rib cage. I would submit to you, I don't have a scripture for it, but give me the liberty to just give you this picture. I think a man is the spine. The spine is the thing the ribs attach to. If the ribs aren't attached to the spine, the spine goes like this. There's a complementary relationship here. There's equal value, but different roles. The husband is the strength and support of the body. And what's interesting is if the spine's weak, the ribs start to pop off. If the ribs pull themselves off, the spine is weak. You have to have both roles operating properly. Now, here's the other thing that the spine does. The spine takes the signal from the brain to the body and from the body to the brain. If my wife were to grab a leg hair while I'm teaching up here, I'd be like, wah! Because the signal would go quickly to my brain. Husband, you are to be a conduit from God to your wife and family and from your wife and family to God. So if your wife gets, I don't feel right about this, your response isn't, why? Your response is, well, let's pray about it. Let's take it to God. Because here's what I found in my marriage. She seems to always get this discernment. And it is very healthy if I quickly take that discernment and we go to God. When I start fighting in my flesh, it doesn't go well. But when I'm a conduit to God, man, there's great strength there that takes place. And could it be that God put the two together to complement one another so that, that both could connect to the Lord in a healthy way. You guys okay with that?
Ever heard anything like that? But it's a good picture, I think, of what it should be, of what it should look like. And so here's what I want to do. Um, I want to send you out with, this is the understanding that God created man and wife before the fall, okay? Then what happens is um, in chapter 3, I was going to read it, but I'm going to just paraphrase it for time's sake. Here's what happens. The enemy comes in, deceives Eve. Eve eats of the apple, gives it to Adam. Adam eats the apple, and all of a sudden, they have their eyes opened, okay? What happened in that moment in time is this. They lost their innocence, I want you to understand, God wants you to have this picture of your marriage, that it's supposed to be completely innocent and free. There should be no shame. There should be no blame. There should be no hiding of anything. You should literally be able to run around naked and love it. There should be a lot of amens right there. (laughs) Close all the blinds, kick all the kids out, and have fun. Right? There's, there's just this no shame aspect. There's an innocent. Think about a little kid, 18 months, two years old, and they get out of the bathtub, you're trying to drive them, they get, they get out of the towel and they're gone. Ah! Right? They're totally innocent. They don't know that that's not what they're supposed to do. And they will run out your front door into the neighborhood and they don't care. They're completely innocent. Now, we laugh about that, but I want you to understand this. That's how your marriage is supposed to be. Is it? Is it? Because what happens is God comes in the cool of day and says, Adam and Eve, where are you guys? And they were hiding because all of a sudden they had their eyes open. They lost their innocence. And we have a lot of marriages that go through a honeymoon period where they truly have just this life and excitement and there's just nothing hindering the relationship. And then all of a sudden, life happens. Stuff comes in. Things start to get hidden. Insecurities begin to make us feel shameful. We don't want to take the blame, so we start to blame it. Do you know in that section of Scripture, it says that Eve said, the serpent made me do it. The man said, the woman you gave me. Two people. He's like, I'm getting as far away from this as I can. In some marriages, that's how people are living. I'm getting as far away from this as I can when you're supposed to be pushing into it. And so I just would submit to you this, and I pray you would take this home. Talk about it. Pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit about this. I'm a huge believer in indicator lights. For instance, when you're driving your car and your little fuel light comes on, what does that mean? Get gas. If you don't get gas, what happens? You're walking. Your wife is mad. But you're still walking, sir. It creates an issue, which is interesting because if you would have just paid attention to the light, it would have taken you five minutes and problem is solved. Or how about this? The oil light comes on. That's a little bit more meaningful, scary, yeah. Um, A lot of times you need to go get the oil changed. If you don't change your oil, uh, your engine will ultimately blow up. You know what? That, that, That appointment takes about 45 minutes, an hour. It takes a little bit longer, but guess what? You're still on your way and your car's back to health. Sometimes the check engine light comes on. Now, that one's no fun because you know 
It means you're going to have a lot of money, and you're going to have to wait a long time to get your car back. Could be a couple days. It could be, it could be longer. It could be up to a week. But here's what I submit to you. Could it be that God gave us, in this illustration here, indicator lights to how we're doing? If there is anything you're hiding in your marriage, bing, 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 let that be an indicator light. And maybe you just confess it and you can move on like you've just filled up at the gas station. Maybe there's something that you feel ashamed of. Okay, so maybe that's a longer conversation. Maybe you have to work through things. Maybe you have to pull in a friend to say, help us with this. A little bit longer, but guess what? You can get rid of it and come to a place, again, back into innocence. Or maybe that check engine light comes on. Maybe there's a big issue. Maybe you got blaming, shame, and hiding going on. Well, guess what? Go see Rob. Come see me. Come see DJ. We think this is so important that we're actually going to do a class on Wednesday nights to follow this series. Not this Wednesday, but the 13th. We're going to do a three-week series. Rob and Amy are going to teach it. Sign up out at the hub today after the service. And I don't want you just to go if you have a light flashing. If your dashboard is crystal clear and there's no lights and there hasn't been lights for years, go sign up for that class and help Rob and Amy minister to others. Be a part of helping this process. Because we all agreed last week we need to do this together, yes? So pray about it and see if that class is something that would be something that you might want to go to. But the bottom line is this, go get help. We all need help. I don't know what it is about human nature that when something comes into our lives or into our marriage, we push away from everybody and says, hey, you know what? I don't want them to know that I've got problems. When the truth is, that's when we should be pushing into people. That's when we should be going and getting help. If you're struggling in your marriage today, don't leave this place without telling somebody, we're hurting, we need help. I'm gonna say that again. If you are struggling in your marriage, do not leave these doors. And I'm gonna point to the back one because I know some of you are like, hey, he pointed to the front. <laughs> do not leave this building without telling somebody, would you pray for me or can we get together with you because I admire the marriage you have. Would you help us? Get help. Don't ignore those indicator lights anymore. Okay? Let me finish by saying this. It goes on in that section of Scripture and it talks about the ramifications, the things that happened because they ate that apple. He says to the serpent... Cursed are you above all livestock. You will crawl on your belly. You will strike at the heel of man, and man will crush your head. Um, I, I, I don't know, but some scholars, I've heard it taught this way, that the serpent was actually an upright creature because why would you curse something to the ground that was already on the ground? I don't know. We'll find out in heaven. But here's what I do know. Snakes crawl on their bellies, and if they're going to hit or strike at a man, they're going to hit the ankle. And if a man's going to kill a snake, he stomps on the back of its head. It was written, and it is. To the woman, it says, great pains will you have in childbearing. Ladies, get mad at Eve, not me. <laughs> but here's something I want you to recognize. It is written... And it is. 
Okay? I, I tell couples this. We're mammals, just like cats and dogs, horses and calves, or I mean cows. And I don't know if you've ever seen a calf born or a horse born or puppies or kittens, but unless something terribly is wrong, uh, they pretty much have their offspring and there's not a big hoodoo about it. There's not this blood-curdling scream. It's part of the fall. It is written, and it is. I don't think it was God's intention, but it is. It goes on and says this. You will long for your husband, and he will rule over you. Okay, now I want to submit something to you. I wish there was a girl's version of the Bible and a boy's version. <laughs> Seriously, a, man, a man's and a woman's. Because here's the problem. A man reads that and goes, Haha, see, I'm supposed to rule you. And it's taught that way, and you pair that up with Ephesians, submit to the man as the head of the marriage. Oh, yeah, I don't need anything more. Submit, well then. I wish men could never read those words because they abuse them. They, they abuse them. Could it be that what happens here is that God wants us to understand that a woman is wired for relationship? And the greatest desire and the greatest thing in her heart is to be with her man. And she's ruled by that insatiable desire to be with him. Because anything you desire rules you. I have a desire for a Jeep Wrangler, two-door, big tires. Not the four-door SUV that DJ has, but a two-door bigger. And here's what's interesting. Once I started wanting that, guess what I see on the road every time I drive? I'm not saying that Jeep Wranglers rule my life, but there's a part of it. It takes my attention. To the greater extent, though, God has put in a woman the need and the desire to have relationship I would submit that in every high school in this country, you could see this played out. Girls will do anything and say anything and give anything to hear, I care for you and I love you. Yes or no? To the man, it says this, curses the ground because of you. You're going to have to work it. You know, I created this garden. You can have fruit that bear fruit every month of the year, and you could eat whenever you want, but not anymore, sir. Because of this, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to work hard, blood, sweat, and tears to provide for your family. So it is written. So it is happening. And so here's what happens. A man is wired to go conquer. A man is wired to go provide. A man is wired with this thing in him that is just like this insatiable desire to, to get this thing done, to go do this, whether it's work or hobbies or fishing or golf or whatever it is, I gotta go do this. Now, what's interesting is before you got married, that thing that you were going after was your wife. But a funny thing happens when you put these rings on, and especially for a guy, this ring becomes a trophy. I got her. This represents that I won. I conquered. It's done. I can move on. 
get this. I think this is so important because you have a wife desiring relationship and you have a man that wants to go out and do things. And it's not what God perfectly intended. It's the ramifications of the fall. And I'm not, changing, I'm not saying that we can supernaturally change it, though I think that if you ask God, he can totally change those things to connect the two of you. I think it's more important to understand the wiring that happened and begin to navigate and negotiate in your marriage, what does this look like? Because, ma'am, he will not always just love to hang out with you watching movies and sitting and eating popcorn. I know you would love that. There's something part of you that would be like, oh, this would be wonderful. Yeah, he's got to go do something. And so from time to time, my wife will go, hey, why don't you just go golf? Really? (laughs) For real? Yeah, go, go, go golf. You know what? What's funny is when I come home, I'm just like, hey, okay, what do you want to do now? There's a funny thing that begins to happen when we begin to understand our role and begin to understand how we are wired as men and women that we start to talk about those things. We have discussions and we begin to discuss and say, hey, look, okay, so this is how you are. This is how I am. Let's come together and let's put together a perfect us. Let's not let the differences, you know what? It's funny because opposites attract until you get married and then the thing that drew you together absolutely bugs the crud out of you. You are so different than me. Yeah, that's why you married me. Yeah, but I don't like that anymore. And so we start praying and we start trying to change our spouse into a modified version of us. And I would submit to you, no, don't pray that prayer. Pray that God would humble you so that you would understand that that person is your better half and actually is the counterpart that comes and puts you and makes you a complete whole. Because I'll tell you this, in 25 years of marriage, when we're right, there's nothing better on this planet than a healthy marriage. There's nothing better. There's no toy that I've bought that has brought greater joy. There's no prayer, there's no even prayer that has been better than what has been brought here. Get it. The greatest joy of my life was when I asked Jesus in my heart. Man, I, I lived on that joy. Still am living on that. Um, but in regards to the practical sense of day-to-day life, there is nothing that brings just greater life than when this is whole. And it's worth putting the time and effort into understanding, okay, so God, that's how you created it. And now going to him and saying, what do you want me to do? What is it that you're speaking to me? How do I become a better husband? How do I become a better wife? How do I understand what my part is to play? Ma'am, maybe you need to go to your husband and say, I'm sorry, I've put a pressure on you by saying, be God in this marriage that I didn't realize I was doing. I repent. And not only do I repent, but if God speaks to me, I submit that I will tell you, hey, this is what I think God is speaking. Can we pray about this? And sir, maybe you need to go, hey, I need to repent because I have pushed my way and I've pushed my agenda without actually listening to you and taking your opinion and your feelings and actually valuing them. And I'm going to start to do those things. Boy, let's start just with that and then understand the wiring of, Desire versus conquer. And sir, you know what? 
You need to win your, woman, your woman's heart every day. Every week, every month, every year. Just because you put a ring on doesn't mean you got her. It means you won the first battle. Sorry, battle's not the right word. <laughs> it's not a battle to win somebody's heart. Except for in Doug and Kay's case, which then it is. Hey, listen, um, sir, your greatest joy should be to win your, your, your wife's heart as often as you can. Not just once, but every day. And so I will just finish by saying this. In order to do this, boy, you have to connect to God. Sir, you have to touch base with God because you can't do this in your own flesh. You have to be led by the Holy Spirit. Ma'am, you can't be the protection, the surround, the help, and the aid that God created you to be unless you hear from God. You can't overcome that longing and that desire to be with your man unless you go, you know what? Who I really need to meet that need is you, Father. And if you'll meet that need, then guess what? Everything else this way. Last week we talked about, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So I'm going to submit this in regards to this. Submit to the kingdom of God and how he sees marriage. Not what the world says, not what you think, but how he sees marriage. And what the word says is that when you do that, all these things will be added unto you. And I believe we will have whole, healthy marriages as we do this together. So Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you've given us an incredible gift in marriage. And God, I pray that right now, through your Holy Spirit, you would begin to penetrate into everybody listening to me right now. God, they've given me the grace to actually go along this morning um, because I believe this is a true and very applicable thing that all of us struggle with. God, I pray now that you would, by your Holy Spirit, begin to stir individually what needs to take place. We've seen what you think about it. We see what the right way to think about this is. Now, God, speak to us individually in how we can move forward so that we can apply things in love in our marriages with our spouse so that ultimately we can have wholeness. God, we pray for wholeness. Kim and I as pastors pray for you in this church that you would have wholeness in your marriages, that you would have wholeness in your relationships. But we have a part to play, and that is we have to understand what our role is, and we have to let God speak those things to us, and we have to be obedient to what he asks us to do. And so, Lord, may we all be a people that would say we are glad to submit to what you tell us to do in our marriage. And God, I pray that you would heal marriages, that you would mend marriages, that you would fulfill marriages, bring wholeness. And God, we thank you for these things in your name. Amen. Amen.